You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, also known as your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who inspire and intrigue me. I love getting into the journey of their life, not just hearing about their biggest, shiniest accomplishments, but how did they get there? I love going into this because I'm hoping that by you listening to other people's stories, you will see that a lot of times people's lives doesn't go in a straight line. Um, it's not just like so easy to figure out what they want and to make it happen. Sometimes it is. And a lot of times it takes a lot of twists and turns and efforts and all of that. So I hope that by listening to other people's stories, you give yourself some more compassion, some more love, and open yourself up to the possibilities that do exist for you no matter where you are in your life right now. On the episode today, I have Cute Blackson, who is a, a beloved international inspirational speaker, a transformational teacher, a national best-selling author. He has a very interesting story, and I loved learning about it. And also his newest book is called The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. And I really like that. I've had um, a relationship <laughs> with the word surrender for like over a decade, and I think it's an interesting term. Um, so I was really excited to hear about where that came from, him writing the book, The Magic of Surrender. Okay, so let's get into it. Oh, pst, if you haven't yet, hit the follow button. It used to be subscribe, now it's follow. And leave a review for the podcast. If you do leave a review, screenshot it and send it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com and I'll send you a gift from my product line. Also make sure to go pick up my book, F the Shoulds, Do the Once. I like starting, you can talk early childhood, but I especially like to hear about people's high school years and like where, yeah, high school. <laughs> like what was life like for you in those years? And if you had any ideas of like what I'm going to be when I grow up or any like what your life was like, if it was like, no, this is what you're going to do or you should do or like where were you at just in general and feeling? Yeah, just in general, I was living in London. Um, I was living in the poorest part of London, one of the most dangerous parts of London at the time. Uh, first Brixton, and then we moved to a place called Peckham, which was incredibly dangerous. Um, my first week of moving there at the age of 13, 14, I was held at knife point within the first two days and almost killed. So that was a welcome to reality in Peckham at the time. Now Peckham has become right. like Venice <laughs> Beach, a little hipster kind of place. But it certainly wasn't when I was there. And so high school was interesting. I mean, I should give people a bit of backstory to just understand why. Look, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana, my mother's Japanese. And my, my first memories as a young boy was, and it was the same in high school. And my first memories as a young boy, two things. I always felt a deep uh, empathy for people and a deep feeling of wanting to alleviate people's suffering in some way. And I felt that in my teens too. And one of my memories too was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor and she picks up the sand that this man, the gravel, the sand that this man walks on, wipes on her face and stands up. And so week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of wheelchairs. The same man who sand she picked up will look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick, stand up. And they would stand up. Or he would look at someone in crutches and they hadn't walked in 10 years and he would say, hey, throw your crutches away. You're so healed. Is this, and they would are you, heal. Okay, okay, and there we go. I was about to this say, man wait, was, was my father. the same man? <laughs> okay. This, this man was my father. And like, like a person would come in they hadn't seen. They'd lost their eyesight. He would touch their eyes and they would open their eyes. And so, you know, I grew up in this environment of miracles. Um, it didn't seem, and this was all throughout my teens as well, and it didn't seem that that's what you extraordinary knew. Yeah. to me because it's all, I, it's all I knew. It honestly didn't seem like a big deal. It was like going to work, watching soccer, seeing miracles, just life. 
And I think one of the blessings of that was I didn't grow up with a sense of limitations. Uh, I, I felt, uh, I really felt anything was possible. And, and, and there was a sense of me that just believed that anything was possible in the universe, which was a real blessing. And so into my teens, when I was age eight, uh, my father had 300, built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. And they built a huge church in London. So we're talking hundreds of thousands of people in, in Ghana, uh, considered a miracle man of Africa, a huge church in London, three, 4,000 people every Sunday coming to service. And I started speaking in my father's church when I was age eight. And by the time I hit my teens, I was ordained as a minister at the age of 14. And I was given the mandate to take over my father's spiritual organization. I mean, luckily for me, he was very mystical, very metaphysical, very spiritual. He went to India in the 60s. So I also, in my teens, grew up with access to his bookshelf. And so he would have thousands of books from the Eastern mystics of Krishnamurti and Osho and Ramana Maharishi, Maharishi Meshyogi, uh, Blavatsky, Gurdjieff, Uspensky, to like Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, Tony Robbins, Marianne Williamson. So in my teens is when I became obsessed also with trying to understand the nature of life and why we're here. And in my father's church, a lot of folks weren't that educated and didn't have much money and had every reason to not be happy, yet seemed really generous and fulfilled. I got a scholarship in my teens to a very prestigious school, kind of like Eton, you know, where prime ministers and presidents' kids went. It was, it was a place called Dulwich College, a free scholarship. And I was around a lot of wealth, uh, even though I didn't come from it and around people that had every reason to be happy yet were miserable. So I also began to ask, like, none of this makes, like, what's the purpose of life? Is it just to go to work, make money, be successful, go on vacation, buy a big house, big car, and then die? Like, surely there has to be more to this thing called life than that. Because when I looked at my friends, their parents were miserable. When I looked at the people in my dad's church, they were so happy and joyful. And so it also began this obsession with questioning, an obsession with reading. I read in my teens five, six, seven hundred books from my father's bookshelf in psychology and meditation and spirituality. And so when I was ordained as a minister, and I really felt a deep calling to help people. And when I was ordained as a minister, I my heart sank because I knew mm. that wasn't my path. I didn't know it till that moment because I was just going down a path that was carved out for me. But I knew that wasn't my path. I felt a different calling, but I did not have the courage to speak to my father and tell the truth and speak my truth. My fear at 14 was if I dared to speak my truth to my father and tell him I'm not taking over, that I would lose his love, that we... I. I he would excommunicate me, that we would have no relationship, that everyone would abandon me. And so four years, I said nothing. And so in my teens, it was a combination of this deep knowing and deep turmoil of like feeling this internal conflict. And I think so many of us, we are afraid to be who we really are, because if you know who I really am, you won't love me. And we end up hiding ourselves, hiding our truth, betraying our authentic expression in order to get love and validation and approval. And that's what I did. And by the time I hit 18, I had a choice to make. I felt this deep, profound calling to come to the US, to come specifically to Los Angeles, Southern California, because and I felt this while I was in my teens for four years. I'd have visions because all of the authors I read about uh, in the self-help field, Louise Hay, Jack Canfield, Martha Johansson, uh, Marianne Williamson, Deepak Chopra, Tony Robbins, Brian Tracy, they all live in Southern California. I mean, the list goes on. So I thought that this is the Mecca. You know, <laughs> I go to India or I go to LA or Southern California and nothing to do with Hollywood or wanting to be an actor. It was really a dream of meeting these people. And, and I started to feel like, wow, there's a different way I can impact people, not through a religion or church, but through seminars and writing. So you like felt this pool that maybe you maybe were even doing in your dad's church of like this work of guiding people 
but you just knew that for you in the church was not for you. It was, yeah, like the church, religion, this organization thing, nothing wrong with it. It's good for some people. It just, my being knew this is not your path. And I tried to fit myself into it. It just wasn't, it was like a shoe that didn't fit. And I saw a different way and my soul truly lit up. I would sneak, we lived behind my father's church in a a small apartment attached to the church since we didn't have a lot. And I would sneak into my father's church, imagine at 7, 8 p.m. at night as a 12, 13-year-old kid. And all throughout my teens, I'd sneak into the church with the lights off and I would give seminars to the empty chairs uh, imagining I was Love it. inspiring people around the globe on weekends, I'd give a whole week, you know, a whole day seminar on Saturday because no one was there. And, and so this was my vision. It was my dream. And, and so when I turned 18, I looked into my future and I felt this, this pull over here, my soul calling me. And sometimes what your soul guides you to do doesn't always make sense or it's not always convenient. And yet I felt the pressure of the expectations of society and my father and everyone around me. And I projected into my future and I saw that I could be successful by everybody's standards, take over my father's church, take it to the next level. But I felt the pain of self-betrayal and that if I didn't have, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my integrity, if I didn't have myself, kind of success is that you know and and i felt a kind of soul suicide in that in that moment that if i started to lie to myself in that moment i would have to live a lie for the rest of my life and the thought of that was really painful and i knew what i had to do and and so i made a very difficult decision a moment where my life changed uh, my destiny shifted where i spoke to my father told him i'm not taking over we didn't speak for two years, which was really, really uh, heartbreaking. But it felt like I didn't have a choice, to be honest. And kind of long story short, I ended like I really believe, and I've seen it enough in my life to say with conviction that if you follow your soul, if you follow your truth, if you don't compromise your essence, that the universe and you live in alignment. The universe will support you, even though it may not be the route you most expect that you will end up in the right place. The roadmap might be different. I end up winning a green card in the green card lottery. No education, no money, no contacts, no, no, no immigration status that my prospects weren't looking good. So you had to enter. So you had to like enter a green card lottery. I didn't know there was a green card lottery. Uh, I was, look, I was in a moment of complete confusion. And I was in a moment of the complete darkness of questioning everything. And I remember feeling really scared, saying, okay, universe, I'm following my soul. I'm doing what I feel guided to do. Which is like, yeah, it's like such an exhilarating and frightening place to be at the same time. (laughs) It's a free fall. It's a complete free fall of like. I'm doing I have no, this. You like, like feel so like connected no and also net. like. Okay, you got me right. Hello, anyone? Terrified. <laughs> Terrified. Terrified. Is anyone there? And 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 so I said to the universe, I said, okay, God, universe, if all of these books I've read, if they're real, these the self help spiritual stuff, then like I need to know. I need to know. I I need come confirmation that I'm on the right path. And I think within some days in the library of my school, I was sitting there and someone handed me a magazine called Economist. And I looked in the back of the magazine because I felt like something was, something was strange. I felt this chill in my body. And I looked in the back, I felt like it was a clue. And I saw this ad that said, the American government is giving away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery, DV1 green card lottery. I had no idea. I wasn't sure if it was a scam. I entered to this law firm. I was told that unless I heard, this was April, unless I heard by September the 18th, just move on with your life. Every day I had full, I had full expectation I was going to win. So every day I'm visualizing myself. 
like the president of the United States shaking my hand, welcoming me to the US. I, I, cut, I color a piece of paper, green, wrote my name on it, green card, but didn't realize green cards were pink. And I would run to the mailbox every day, fully expecting to get a letter that I'd won. Nothing. September the 18th, still nothing. Now I'm pissed off. I'm mad. I'm like mad at the universe. I feel abandoned by my father, abandoned by life, feeling I'm screwed, basically. And right in the moment of breakdown and, and sort of unknown, I tell my mother, I'm going, to I'm going to the U.S. and I'm going to pack my bags. I'm not coming back. I mean, call it illegal, call it whatever. I'm going. And that night, we get a phone call from the law firm I applied through. And my mother picks it up, hands it to me, and he says, Mr. Blackson, I said, yes. He said, this is the law firm. You've just got noticed today you want a green card. And I'm jumping for joy because I can't believe, I mean, I can't believe it. And in the moment of jubilation, I hear this voice that said, uh, why, why are you so surprised? You, you knew you were going to win. Did you not, did you not trust? And that moment has stuck with me for my entire life. In all of the moments when I felt, especially in the beginning, when I felt like giving up, when I lost faith, when I couldn't see my head from my feet, I remember that moment. And I remember feeling the sense that there is an intelligence of life that is guiding me. And, and, and if I just follow that flow of intelligence, I'll be okay. And I came to the U.S., two suitcases, $800 you know, into the country, landed in LA, asked the taxi guy to take me somewhere safe and cheap. He takes me to Venice Beach 20, 20 years ago, which wasn't the best place at the time, and began my life, you know, cried for the first months being here, wondering if I was making the greatest mistake of my life. And then in a, in a nutshell, went and found many of the, the, the authors, you know, the Jack Campfields, Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy's of the world, went and found many of them, learned from some of them years later, uh, ended up traveling, went to Thailand, studied with monks, went to Israel, studied with some rabbis, ended up in India. And it was my time in India that really transformed me from the inside out and gave me a whole new vision for myself and my life. And I came back to LA again. And that's when I started working with people 20 years ago, one-on-one, -on -one, before coaching was popular. And one person, I had no idea what I was doing at the time, but, but one person showed up, another person showed up and lives began transforming pretty deeply. And the, my, my, my work began evolving before you knew it. people were flying from around the world to work with me one-on-one. -on -one. I created a whole way of working with people one-on-one -on -one that wasn't so much about coaching. I called it uncoaching, unconditioning, unprogramming you from the patterns and layers of conditioning in which we're programmed from childhood. And so people's lives really transformed and it expanded into small groups and large groups and, you know, traveling the world and two best-selling books. And so that's the short version. I love it. I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I love getting all into all the whole, the full story here. Well, even the shortened full story. Um, a couple of things. So when you first moved in LA and yeah, you're crying for that first month and stuff, were you just like, again, like trusting the path, but like just doing anything to like get a job and be able to like afford to stay there? Like, were you at first just like, let me like, okay, make sure I can afford to be here. And then you said you were like looking to find those people. Like, yeah, because you also were 18 at that point or were you? Yeah, it's crazy. And when I think back, you know, like when I look at some, I mean, no offense, but when I look at of 18 year olds today and i'm thinking Shit, i was 18 that person like that's just crazy and 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 so i mean i was a mature 18 year old but still 18 you are so i was so so green and uh naive and 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 yet i, I something was pushing me and so yeah i landed and the first few weeks i was camping out on venice beach area in in like a place called venice beach hotel it might still be there, not even a yeah, motel, a it's a hotel with a C. I've never which, heard that. What the hell is a hotel? They, oh. they, they had dormitories, okay? And I was in these dormitory things and it was cheap. So I figured, hey, American dream. And, and, and I ended up getting my first tiny apartment, which was literally $250 a month rent. It was a room, my own room with, with a shower and, and didn't have a kitchen, a shower and a bathroom. And... I was happy in Koreatown when Koreatown wasn't 
hippest place in LA. Now it's kind of hip and began a life. And I was honestly stealing food from the supermarkets to survive. Literally, I was, you know, Doing mopping floors, could, washing dishes. I mean, well, whatever it took, you know, washing dishes in exchange for Chinese food in the Chinese uh, restaurants and and just 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 hustling just doing whatever i could in the beginning but it was but you know i felt even though it was a struggle i really i remember feeling sitting in my tiny room i mean literally i didn't even have a bed i couldn't afford a bed my first bed was a bed i found outside of a dumpster and i pulled it in and that was my first bed literally next to the dumpster out of the trash and that was my first mattress and and I felt, you know, I felt free. I felt broke, but I felt free because I was living authentically. I was living on my own terms. I wasn't living someone else's life. And even though it was hard, I felt true. I felt in integrity with myself. And, and I think that gave me a level of peace that was beyond comfort you know that gave me a level of peace and internal freedom that was hard to explain i think you can't be truly fulfilled and happy living someone else's life you can't be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not and i think one of the things as human beings that keeps us stuck keeps us unfulfilled keeps us uh unhappy keeps us disconnected keeps us from going to the next level are all the ways we lie to ourselves. As human beings, for several reasons, which we can get into, we lie to ourselves all the time. Often, it's, we're not even conscious that we're lying to ourselves. We're lying to ourselves, and we really sincerely believe the lie that we're telling about who we are and what we feel and what we think and what we want, because we've been conditioned in such a way that we're not really in touch with our true feelings. And so it's not our fault. We've, it's just layers of programming and conditioning where we feel that who we are is who we are. We're not really telling the truth. We're not being authentic. And so I think one of the first places that I had to start, and I think anyone can start in terms of a practical place to really shift or transform is with truth. Having the courage to feel the truth, acknowledge the truth, speak the truth, tell the truth, live the truth, like happy life, simple, but not always easy. And so there is no transformation without telling the truth. There is no transformation without truth. And so perhaps the first question that questions I had to ask myself, but perhaps the first question that people can ask is, what lies am I telling myself? Just starting there. Like, what lies am I telling myself? Because the mind the ego can rationalize anything we tell ourselves and make it sound like it's real to keep us safe and keep us comfortable. And so just even asking, okay, what lies am I telling myself? And being, and being ruthlessly, radically, authentically honest with oneself. You know, we have to want the truth mm. more than we want what we have. We have to want the truth more than we want what we want. And freedom to be free, freedom isn't free. Freedom requires that we let go of what's not aligned, that we let go of what's not true, that we let go of what's not working. But as human beings, creatures of comfort, we tend to hold on to what's not working out of safety and familiarity and comfort and self-preservation, but holding on just keeps us stuck and blocks our blessings. And so what lies are you telling yourself? That's, that's I think, a place, if, if we just radically told ourselves the truth and lived the truth, we would transform. To me, truth is real spiritual practice. Truth is real yoga. Truth is real prayer. And if we did that, we would transform our lives. I think that's a place to begin. Like, what lies am I telling myself? And even just... I would invite people, take the pressure off of yourself of having to take any action. Because one of the things I think stops us from telling the truth, it, the fear of the consequences of, of, oh, if I tell my father the truth, I'm going to lose everything. 
and so I'm not going to. So what we sometimes do is we end up we end up in this pattern of confusion or thinking we're confused. We're not really confused, but confusion becomes a survival, a defense mechanism from telling the truth. I don't really know if. Right, because you don't want to face the truth because of the discomfort that lies there. Like we know what's going to happen. No, I'm so we know with you about how so much of like, yeah, the programming and like that's a my book that what the time that this comes out will be out is F the shoulds do the once. And it's all about how I gave up, like actually stopped using the word should over 10 years ago. And it made me I didn't think I was a person that lived a life of shoulds at all. Like I lived an awesome life doing what I want. But then once I actually focused on the word, I realized how often I leaned on that word and it made me really like expose my thoughts and feelings and beliefs. And like, wait, why do I? And like, wait, well, what do I want? Wait, why am I telling myself I'm not enough? Because yeah, I've been taught that I have to look this way or do this or whatever, that there's so much programming and the shoulds and people, we just throw that word around and like just by pausing around that one word, I was able to really be constantly facing myself and like, wait, is this like your actual thought and what you believe or just what you've been programmed to believe? Uh, exactly. Yeah, that we're like so like externally motivated of like, what does everybody else think? And not like, well, what do I actually think? What what works for me? How does this feel for me? <laughs> so that was like such a like life hack that I like, you know, came from like not even like looking for one. Um, I wanted to talk about, I heard you, you know, mention, especially like when you're like the idea of success and going back to when you were 18 or even younger, when you were like noticing these people that were like super wealthy and just like unhappy, which I also had in my teenage years, this like, I don't understand life. Like all of these people I'm supposed to be listening to are miserable. And my parents, like you, you said you didn't name your parents, you named other people's parents. Like I had uh, parents that were unhappily married and I just wanted them to get divorced. They were miserable. And so I was like, why am I listening to you people? So I didn't. I stopped like 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 at 15 was just like, I know, I'm just going to like, okay, this is my life and let me figure it out. But like so this idea of success when you were like you it seemed like from being this exposed to these miracles in the church like you it was probably very fulfilling and then also you said you didn't have very much you guys were living in a small space but like did you like were you from a younger age able to have a different feeling and perspective of success than again what we're conditioned to believe success looks like and what we're uh, trying to obtain by like I got to do this and have this and blah 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 and have the nice car and you know do all these things so it looks a certain way to people instead of like, oh, you know what felt successful for me today? Like I walked into town and got a coffee and was just like, look at me, like enjoying a Friday morning walking around instead of getting to work. I was like, this feels good to me. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, for, for me, because I grew up in, in, in my father's church, and you know he was a very mystical person, spiritual person actually, which was a blessing. Everything was in service to to people, and and so the orientation of life was really about being of service. The orientation of our entire life, in maybe an extreme way, was about being of service to humanity and a mission to elevate to empower and 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 so in that context there was a really different reference point in terms of what success was we didn't really talk about success but in terms of those words but because so much of our lives was oriented not on me and i and what can we get but what can we give and how can we serve because just based on how we lived my father would spend 18 hours a day just serving people my mother was helping serving people and is through osmosis and, and it's what I saw, it's what I observed. And so I think from a young age, my focus was never really about the, the American or Western idea of, you know, get the car, get the house, get the thing, get the, own the possessions, accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. Nothing wrong with it. I hope we, everybody becomes a billionaire and serves the world. But I grew up with this, the, the real focus being service and you could almost say success being the degree to which you serve. And, and I think that's why it's been a big part of my life and philosophy 
even with my clients, even in my teachings, even in my seminars, it's like realizing you might get everything you thought you wanted, but you will reach a point of dissatisfaction. You get the car, you get the house. I mean, I've had them. I've had them. Nothing wrong with it. I'd rather have them than not have them. But the Lamborghini, the it doesn't make you happy. Eventually, it, the, the, the feeling that we're seeking hits a point of diminishing return. Often what we are seeking in the sense of achievement is not really the thing. It is either the feeling or many times our idea of success or goals of, or if I do that, I'm going to be successful. Our goals can often be a projection of our unmet needs from childhood. Dad didn't love me. Mom didn't love me. I felt not enough. So if I can just get that body, be famous, win the Oscar, then I'm going to finally be enough. And it never fulfills us because we're looking in the wrong place. And so often what we deem as success isn't really success. It's a way to fulfill a need that can never be met with the achievement of what we think success is. And so I think we are truly successful as human beings on a couple of levels when we are uh, sharing our gifts and being of service to humanity no matter what because that's not about an outcome. That's about the process of how you live your life. And I think when we share our gifts and we are focused on giving and sharing and living our purpose, whatever that is, we're successful regardless of how much you have in the bank account. Some of the most successful people I've met, and I write about this in my book, have been the poorest people, but they've been truly successful because they are alive, they are aligned, they're happy, and they're sharing their gifts with the world. And from a whole spiritual level, I think for me, success, um, the evolution of success is just recognizing that first and foremost, we are souls. And we're souls that incarnate into this human experience. So we're souls having a human experience. And we incarnate in order to, like life is a school, life is a classroom, a university for our soul's evolution. And every experience is really the curriculum for our soul's growth. And so if that's the case, I like to see life, the real purpose of life to learn the lessons, to grow, to evolve and expand our consciousness and, and, and become more of the authentic version of who we are on a human level, a spiritual level, to remember that we are infinite beings, that we are souls, that we are spirits. And I think the degree to which we learn the lessons and we evolve is the degree to which we are truly successful. And that's at the end of your life, that's the only thing you really take with you. I was in Egypt many years ago and I remember being in the Cairo Museum. And if anyone's been to Egypt, you'll, you'll know that there's an entire floor in the Cairo Museum dedicated to uh, Tutankhamun. And you see all of his gold and his trinkets and his chairs and all of his stuff, like billions of dollars worth of stuff. And I remember walking around thinking, his stuff is here and he's gone. Wait, wait a second, his stuff is here and he's gone. And it was just another realization of, we don't take any of any any of this stuff with us. Nothing we achieve. The only thing we take with us is the evolution of our consciousness and who we who we become in the process of life itself. And the impact we made is what we leave behind. And so for me, that's what success is. Yeah, I love that. And and it's also like, and we don't know when that date's gonna come. It's not like, oh, let me do my soul's work and then I'm 80 and I'll finish it. So it's like a lot of we make it so hard for like, well, what can you be doing today to feel like, okay, that you're successful or that you're fulfilled or something? It's not once you, yeah, earn that much money or you have that car, you got to take that vacation and share about it on social media or whatever. It's like, yeah, like, hey, today. And like, yeah, like I love being in those moments. Like I said today when I was just like walking in my neighborhood getting coffee and just like was just so like present enjoy and like this is these are the moments like this is what it's about like my the time we're recording this my first book that I worked so hard is coming out in a couple days and it's like sure there's so much like pressure on that and it's like it doesn't the mat the numbers don't matter of the success it's like this moment of like wow look at me here being in this life and enjoying the nature <laughs> like <laughs> Psst, Trisha here bringing you a brief interruption because trust me, you want to go take advantage of Blissoma's skincare offer to get a free sample set so that you can try out 
their products on your own skin. These products are a game changer. I have been using really, truly green beauty. There's so much greenwashing out there that is not really the best quality products. Blissoma, I see a difference and feel a difference in my skin immediately. They are truly authentic green beauty. It's cutting edge chemistry meets traditional herbal knowledge for the best of both worlds. You can go back and listen to our episode with Julie, the founder. Like this is her whole heart passion is in this. So right now they are offering you a free sample set because I know somebody can tell you something's amazing and then it's a little bit risky to just buy the products and hope they work for you. So Blissoma solved that. You can go to this link. It'll be in the show notes, but go to blissoma.com backslash skincare dash sample dash set dash offer. Again, it's in the notes. And then you'll see there a special code that you can use when you order your samples. Some of my favorite products are the Aura Phyto Brightening Serum, Free, the Rejuvenating Herbal Gel Cleanser, Restore, which is an Omega Miracle Facial Oil. Um, but honestly, every single product that I've tried, I have fallen in love with. So go to the blissoma.com right now, look through the products, order your samples, get them for free. Trust me, you will feel a difference in your skin. Okay, I want to talk about your books, specifically the most recent, but you can talk about your first one too. Like, yeah, especially growing up, reading. Sure, sure. Personal development self-help books for so long. Was that like always a goal of yours? Or like, I will write these books or just that you knew that you wanted to support people or like- Yeah, I, I, you know, I remember when I first read, I read my first self-help book at age eight. It was called Creative Visualization by Shakti Gawain. A very simple book. This is like, one of the OG before law of attraction. It's like creative visualization. Think a thought, thoughts, your thoughts are creative. Your thoughts have the ability to manifest. Think positive thought. I mean, real basic, but you know, this is like in, in the late 80s or something. And so it was like kind of, I'm gonna say revolutionary, but but still newer to the mainstream world. And so I read this book and my mind was blown. And then I yeah, I really got obsessed with. You know, I remember reading Deepak Chopra's book for the first time, Louise Hayes' book for the first time. I just having breakthroughs at 14, reading uh, Stephen Covey's book. Like I found Stephen Covey's book in a bookstore. Like one, one of the biggest uh, sort of, I don't know, uh, uh, epiphanies was, was finding this spiritual bookstore. Yeah, I forget the name now, but in, uh, it will come to me, in Covent Garden. Nothing but spiritual books, okay? And when I found it, it was like a, a mosquito in a nudist colony, basically is how I felt. Like, I'm like, on, I'm on fire. I'm on fire. And I found, I remember finding Stephen Covey's book at 13, 14. And his book was so structured and seven habits, you know. Organized. I don't know this book. I don't think, wait, what is the book? I don't recognize his name. It, it's called The Seven Habits. Oh, okay. So, yes, I've people. heard it's a of classic. that. Wait, a, did Dale Carnegie, like, Come, because yeah, he had like I have a book from my dad that was a Dale Carnegie book, but that was like some sort of it had a similar name. So I was like, wait, did yeah. he like take his stuff? Yeah, yeah. So so it's a old, it's a classic, and it was structured. And and when I was reading this book, I thought, this is it, you know, like this. I want to write books, and so yes, in my teens, I would have visions of having a company in like California and writing books and, and people reading my books and people being inspired by my books and transformed by my books. And that was a dream. I always knew I would. It was just a matter of the timing of things, you know, and sometimes God's time is not your time and we have to surrender to divine time. Like I was offered a book deal by a very, the top, I'm not going to name a name, but a top self-help niche publisher in the world. In 2010, I turned it down because they wanted me to write a particular kind of book that didn't align with my soul. Everybody said, write the book because it's a great stepping stone and you're crazy for not taking it. And I said, no, it's not aligned because there's thousands of books already out there like that and nothing is original. Why would I write another book just to waste paper is basically what I said. It wasn't in alignment with my soul. And I remember turning that down 
everything I wanted, write a book, turned it down. Many of my heroes were published by this publisher, turned it down and trusted my soul once again and built my business of 2010 to 2015, built my business, built a brand globally, traveled, you know, all of these things like exploded to the next level. And in 2010, I could feel the ripeness. To me, this is trusting divine timing. I could feel the ripeness of things. And then it was just, it wasn't like striving to write a book. It was just time. And then everything just aligned. Got a top agent. You know, we went into, I remember we went into, it was effortless. We went into having publisher meetings. All seven publishers wanted to do the book. There was an auction, multi, 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 six-figure six book deal. And boom, boom. And, and it, just, it just happened, not on the timing I thought, but when it happened, it went, you know. And that was another lesson of not trying to control or manipulate life, but trust the unfolding of my soul. Because I saw all of these other people writing I'm books. I'm behind. Oh, no. I, I like, should be yeah. writing books. And, and yeah, and, and we all have our own journey and our own timing. So, yes, yeah, that was my book journey. Yeah, so, like, even though it's not, like, trusting that it, it might not be happening right now, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. <laughs> or maybe it is happening right now. We just don't know. Yeah, like, the legs of it, yeah. Or, like, who knows where that – well, yeah, we probably would have been a different story if you had accepted that deal. Um. Okay, but the most recent book, is it The Magic of Surrendering? Is that right? The magic of surrender. Oh, I love this. I love. I love this book, and I'm really on fire with the the message of surrender. It's 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 what it's what I was born to to bring forth. Into the Why world. do you feel that? And I think um, I've had a relationship with the word surrender and surrendering for a long time, but I feel like people, a lot of people, don't fully understand it, and it's like almost like feels like too scary or like you're giving up so no 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 no. i don't like that so no 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 we don't like that exactly we don't want to dive in and really it feels like actually like a really peaceful and beautiful space for me yeah that's exactly why (laughs) i didn't want to write that book (laughs) because because i'm like everyone's gonna want to run away from reading this book how do you market a book that nobody that 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 no one wants to surrender you're you're already fighting like let me write a book about purpose money you know manifestation but none of that was none none of that was look this was not the book i thought i was going to write this was not the book i wanted to write for those reasons uh i had an entire whiteboard uh, on, on the wall of topics and titles and books I wanted to write. Great titles. Maybe I'll write them someday. Books I thought publishers would Because also you had already written one book. So it's like, oh, right, what's books my I next would... book? Or is that, yeah, okay. Uh, what, what's next? Yeah, it was It was like, what's next? I know. I'm already in that. Yeah, I'm like, my book is coming out. What I'm like, what's going to be next? And, <laughs> and, nothing, and nothing was, of all these great sexy titles, Nothing was fitting. And the only word that really was authentic, truly authentic, was the word surrender. And I thought, oh, no, no, no. And then I had to surrender to the book about surrender and realize that this is the book that is seeking to be written and it's beyond me. Then I reflected on my life. And I can share how the book came about. But then I reflected on my life and how every aspect of my life from my childhood, from how my parents met, agreed to get married, having never seen or met or spoken and couldn't speak the same language, which is a whole nother story. Like, like my whole life was really in the context of surrender. And so in 2016, my first book, You Are the One, was a bestseller. I was on a high. I got, was on Larry King that week, who was a childhood hero. That week, I get a phone call from my father. Life has a way of humbling you when you're in your highest moment. And my father says, your mother has cancer. You need to call her. And I call my mother. She downplays it. So I'm in LA. I start flying back and forth to London to be with my mother in her chemo sessions and just sit with her. And I had every intention to heal her and get her better and alternative therapies. I realized 
pretty soon none of it was going to work. And so I accepted, I kind of surrendered, and I gave up hope that there was going to be a future. In that giving up, in that letting go, it freed me to just be fully present with her right now. Like there was no more tomorrow. There were all these dreams that there were, there was only now, like me holding a hand right now could be the last moment. Me having dinner with her right now could be the last, the last dinner. Every moment became so incredibly precious. And so what started out as the worst year of my life began, became the best year of my life. And then I think the seed of the book was planted in when the doctor said, and I didn't realize it at the time, but when the doctor said, basically, you're going to die. There's nothing we can do for you. I asked my mother, are you, two questions, are you afraid? And she said, this Japanese, little Japanese woman said, no, I'm not afraid because I know I'm not just, I'm not this body. That what I am is an infinite soul. This body is just a vehicle, completely fearless. And then I asked her, is there anything I can do for you in your final days to make your days easy as your son what what do you need what do you want and here's where here's where everything connected she said there's nothing i need and there's nothing i want all i want is what god wants for my life that was it plain and simple true as could be in that moment i realized who my mother really was in that moment i realized that she was surrendered and that was the key to her peace. She was calm. She was this entire year, didn't feel like a victim, didn't struggle, just was completely at peace. She wasn't attached to living. She wasn't attached to dying. And so that was the moment when everything connected. I'm looking at the whiteboard, surrender, boom. I'm having this entire epiphany of this last year with my mother. And that's when I realized surrender is the most powerful thing I think we can do as human beings. We can live. Surrender is the password to freedom. Surrender is the key to true manifestation. Surrender was the key to the great ones. If you look at all of the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mandela, uh, who else, Bob Marley, Muhammad Ali, Bruce Lee, they all surrendered themselves to life, to their souls, to the universe, to the divine, to a deeper purpose than themselves. And in surrendering themselves, they transcended their own ego's limitations. And so just, just to clarify what you said, because it's such a good point, we have this misconception of surrender in our culture today. You know, we have this idea that surrender means giving up, waving weakness, waving the white flag. Like if you surrender, you're going to get left behind. If you surrender, you're going to be taken advantage of. If you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, dreams, and desires. You're going to fail. You got to like sell everything and go to India and live in the Himalayas. Or if you surrender, you're going to get less there. And I'm actually saying no. There's a reframe of surrender to as a as an active, beautiful, amazing thing. Because if you really understand it, what if you didn't get less but you got more? Like more then you could even conceptualize and imagine with your limited egoic mind. That's to me the mag like the reason I call the book the magic of surrender, not the art or the power, is magic is that which is beyond our conscious mental capacity to imagine what's possible. And I think when we surrender, we take the limits off of life and we go beyond and we transcend ourselves and we open to infinite possibilities. And so surrender is letting go of control or the control we think we have you know it, control is like a master addiction surrender is to stop trying to force life to fit into our limited idea of what we think it is or should be surrender is when we let go of the the idea of the life we think we should be living who we think we should be and we're available and we're open and we allow and we we're curious and we let life lead us. And, and when we live, sometimes we don't realize that we get so attached to, to our goals and what we think it should be or look like that we are limiting the magic of life. We're putting limitations of life because we're like, no, this person has to be my soulmate. No, this has to be how it looks like versus saying, you know what? I'm available. I'm open. It's even like, yeah, I'm 35 and I'm in this relationship. So this is this is this person or this must be my career. Or, this must be my opportunity, like attached to a timing too. then we have to just stick with something. <laughs> it's, 
Yeah. <laughs> and it may not be right. And we and, and that's the forcing. And sometimes we're holding on to peanut and the universe is seeking to give us a buffet, but we're so attached to holding on that we're not able to, to, to truly let go and be available. So when we surrender, we're truly, it's the true availability. What I just want to clarify is surrender doesn't mean being passive, sitting there doing nothing. Like, oh, I'm surrendered, so I'm just going to sit on the couch and just, you know, watch Netflix and it's just going to unfold. No, it's it's to feel your, feel the, like, the old paradigm is about, well, what do you want? Yeah, you might get what you thought you wanted, only to realize what you thought you wanted. It's not what you really wanted. It's just what you thought you wanted. But the, to me, the, 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 the paradigm of surrender is, a, is an infinite question. You can manifest life from just the level of the ego. It's possible, but it's going to be limited. To me, the paradigm of surrender is, is when you ask, not what do I want, but when you ask, okay, what is it that life wants to express through me? What is it that the universe wants to express? Through me? What is it that my soul is seeking to express? What is the deepest impulse that is seeking to express through me and be still and be quiet and listen to what is seeking to express, then you can align your actions and your strategy and your marketing. You can align everything with that and then take action. But now you're acting in alignment. So when you surrender to your deepest truth and deepest integrity and what's authentic, you're in alignment with the with nature, with life. And that might mean you work 20 hours a day, but, but what you're working towards is in integrity, is in alignment. Like I look at someone like Gandhi. He wasn't sitting around doing nothing. Mother Teresa, she wasn't sitting around doing nothing. You know, you look at someone's life like a Mandela. Mandela surrendered in such a way. Now, should he have not spent 26 years in prison? Now, I don't wish that on anyone, but what if he didn't spend 26 years in prison? His surrender took him in a direction that he didn't expect. But perhaps it was that 26 years in prison that prepared the collective consciousness. Perhaps that 26 years in prison was what was necessary to prepare his consciousness to develop the mental, the emotional, the, the forgiveness, the compassion, the vision, the humility, the soul force, so that he could come out and impact generations to come. So to me, like Mandela's life is a life you couldn't plan or strategize with your mind. It was a magical life. And I think when we surrender, we open ourselves. Yeah. And I, the thing that kept coming to me over and over again was like just even surrendering to who you truly are. And again, because I'm all about the shoulds and, and you did, I don't, you mentioned several times like, yeah, who you should be, who be this. Like, again, there are lots of like shoulds, but in there, again, the strangest deal, again, it's like, feels like this sort of like you're taking off these locks you didn't even realize or like chains are on yourself and like surrendering to who you are, allowing yourself to be who you are, to like what you like, to stop judging yourself for whatever the things that we don't realize we're doing. And that for, yeah, like, cause you know, you were naming sort of, okay, like uh, letting it speak through you and creating a marketing plan. But for just someone who doesn't have like some big vision for their life, then it's like, well, what, well, surrendering. It's just, again, like I'm feeling like what you're saying is just yeah, surrendering to the magic of like you just allowing yourself to embrace who you are and live that out in the world instead of as we are often making it too hard on ourselves to even just be awake and present in our lives. I love your book concept because we we end up shooting all over ourselves, you know, and like should this, should that, should and and that is you know a, a form of suffering and resistance, right? And and all shoulds are rising from the conditioned mind and our ego, which is our perceived sense of self. And so I think when we can, yeah, surrender is a letting go of the shoulds and the life we should be living and what we should be living and what we should be doing, so that we can allow what is. What is actually real? What is actually true? And I think when we live what is true, even though at first it can seem a little scary because we have all these shoulds, there's such a freedom in that and there's such a beauty in that and there's such a, that's where the real fulfillment lies. And so I think that the last couple of years of what we've been going through as a humanity, uh, I really feel the universe has been initiated us as a humanity, as a species, to let go of those shoulds and let go of our resistances and to live more in alignment 
with nature and our, and our true authentic selves, you know, and our truth. Yeah. And so I think surrender is, is, is surrender is not giving up. It's, it's a password for freedom, you know, and, and sometimes it might mean doing something or taking an action that you've been afraid to take. Like it might mean going out and protesting. You're like surrendering what you really feel deeply that you've been not allowing yourself to because what will other people think? Or I shouldn't do this, say this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Love it. Okay. I'm going to ask you the questions I ask everybody. The first one is what is something or several things, whatever, what are things that you do to up your joy levels when maybe you want a boost of energy? Or, yeah. Feeling heavy. Uh, this is something I do every day, you know, um, apologies if it's not that exciting, but it, it, it works for me. I, 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 it doesn't need to be exciting. That's the point. I'm just trying to help people out there listening be like, oh, right. I can do things to like improve. My- <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I exercise every day, whether I feel like it or not. I mean, without fails, almost seven days a week. And that creates for me a baseline of energy. And even if I don't feel great, even exercise, move the body, I feel pretty good after that, you know? And so uh, it's not a thing I do in emergency. It's just a thing I do every day that just shifts my state of being and uh, provides the foundation for my day. And that, that really helps. I understand that where it's like sometimes I am like, okay, I'm not feeling great. What can I do? But same thing. And especially uh, on the weekends when I don't have childcare, then I make sure my kids like now know this, like before we do the house, leave the house or do anything, mommy gets 20 minutes of movement. And that so like if I'm not feeling super good, it's like, okay, that's mellow yoga. Sometimes it's like a Peloton ride or whatever. But again, because that will like then prepare me. <laughs> for the day to be more like grounded present get the energy out that i'm not so reactive of like what what wait what are you doing here <laughs> okay the next question is to fill in this phrase so what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you so maybe like a way that you're naturally d- are and then like so what is easiest for me is blank what is best for me is blank for you personally for me personally, ah, what is easiest for me is, I don't know if this fits in, but it's, it's sort of in the zone. What, what's easiest for me is to do shit on my own and, and, and like be independent and just like, I'll take care of it on my own. But I think what's best for me is to uh, allow people to support me and allow my team to support me and receive from people rather than giving all the time. So. Yeah. No, that totally fits. And I feel that too. Like, I got this. No, I can. Well, no, I don't need any help. And then. <laughs> okay. The last question is the name of the podcast is Claim It. Uh, because I feel so often people are seeking these, like we talked about, like, once I do this, I will have success, feel enough, this, that, that. And we're like, we're putting these things outside of ourselves, sort of chasing them. And then, as you also mentioned too, like, you get them and then it's you still probably don't feel that. You just move the benchmark. And so I feel like if we put more energy on how those things would actually feel, then we can actually claim them in the moment. So what would success feel like? What would worth feel like? So anyway, the question is, what are you claiming for yourself right now? Wow. Um and I love I'm that no one ever moment. gets these questions ahead of time, so they really just have to answer in the moment. <laughs> I, I, li- I, I, I like not getting questions. You know, I, I, I'm just claiming, you know what, a more radical fun and, and, and play and just joy. I'm going to claim those. Love it. Radical fun. Yes. The other things were great too, but I'm really sick of that. Not just fun, but radical fun. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so, so much. And congrats on everything. And um, thanks for sharing so much of your journey with us. Okay. Take care. Bye. Wow. 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 Interesting life journey, right? Um, I just love talking to people and getting into their stories. So, to find more about him, 
cuteblackson.com. It's K-U-T-E. I don't know why I spell things out. You can just, you're going to look at the like episode info, right? Or you're going to use Google. (laughs) But anyway, check out his new book, The Magic of Surrender. Check out my book, F the Shoulds, Do the Once. You can go to ftheshouldsdothewants.com to find all the places to order it. And you can still claim some of the order bonuses and um, enter your details there, whether you've already ordered it or you're going to order it right now. And if you already have the book, please leave it a review. Make sure to check out Blissoma Skincare. Seriously, their skincare works. I just tried a new brand that was supposed to be like the best, best, best ever that was gifted to me. And uh, I like Blissoma better. So go check it out, go get their sample kit, and um, go claim yourself some joy, okay? Go do something that brings you joy, whether it's listening to a song you love, getting outside in nature, do something that brings you joy.